it's so good to be back with you. I, uh, I wasn't here last week, and if you're like, you weren't, then you weren't here either. Uh, but anyway, I am really glad to be back. I know that while I was gone, uh, we had a guy, Stephen Ray, from our Oviedo campus come and fill in. I heard nothing but incredible things. Uh, if, you, if, if you disagree with that, uh, please uh, come tell me. I'm starting to feel a little insecure. Uh, it sounds like you did an incredible job. Uh, but no, I am glad that you got to, you got to hear from Stephen. He's a, a great friend, um, and that dude loves Jesus seriously. And so I'm glad you got to experience that. Well, I wanted to give you a quick update as we get started. You may remember um, that at the end of last year, we told you about an opportunity that we were going to have to move into a more uh, semi-permanent location for us rather than the school. And so I want to give you an update about that. Um, and so the, the location, if you're like, what are you talking about? Uh, if you guys know Mosaic Church, uh, they're on, they have the, in the big shopping center there on 50. Great church, great people, uh, really uncomfortable chairs. Don't go there. But uh, they started out in a building uh, on Oakland Avenue where Plant Street turns into Oakland Avenue when you cross into uh, Oakland. They had a building there, and uh, there's a school called Family Christian School, and we're going to go ahead and put it up here in just a second. Uh, there is a school called Family Christian School that bought that property from them, and they said, hey, we would, there it is, we would love to have a church here, and we were like, we would love to be there. Um, and so we have entered into a partnership with them, and they have been, for the past very many months, they've been renovating this space um, to get it ready for the school and then to get it ready for us as well. Um, and so I do not have a move-in date for you yet, relax. Uh, but in the next couple of weeks, I hope to have one for you um, that I can share with you. But a lot has happened recently. Uh, the summer, the, all the renovation really took off. So the sanctuary, except for our AV stuff that needs to be installed, the sanctuary is done as far as their renovation is concerned. Uh, I walked through classrooms, the electrical's done, the HVAC is in, the, the ceiling lighting has been put in, the ceilings have been dropped. There are classrooms that are completely finished uh, that I got to walk through, and so they are getting closer and closer and closer. So I wanted to give you that update because I know you've been praying uh, with us, and you've been praying for this whole process, um, and so I, I know you're excited to potentially get there, and I know I'm incredibly excited to get there, and, and I know I'm excited to never have to set these curtains up ever again, uh, and I'm sure some of you are as well, uh, but keep praying for that process, and we will absolutely absolutely keep you posted, but we wanted you to see a little bit. Plus, I didn't tell you this, if you go over there, in front of it, there's like a little like wooden uh, fence, uh, like little box that's in the, like by the parking lot. It's actually right over there. Um, those are protected turtles, and I always thought Grace Wintergarden needed a mascot, and now we have one, and it's a turtle, and if you touch it, I think it's like $5,000 or something, so I'd rather you not touch it and donate that to the church. Uh, so anyway, so that's going to be our, and we will we'll have a contest to name it. Uh, so anyway, so so that's the building update, um, and thank you guys, and, and I hope you're getting excited as we are as well. But I wanted to start off by telling you um, right now, you may look at me and you go like, man, that guy really loves sports. <laughs> I do. Uh, and so right now, the uh, Stanley Cup finals are going on, right? So that is hockey, and I always thought that was funny, like the manliest sport where they knock each other's teeth out. What are they playing for? A cup. Uh, so anyway, just like, just a cup. Uh, so anyway, so they're playing for the Stanley Cup. It is the Colorado Avalanche and the Lightning, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, they named their teams after the things that kill the most tourists, I think. And so anyway, so, uh, so that's, that's what's happening right now. Now listen, I didn't, I had never been to a professional hockey game until just a couple of months ago. I got to go to a Tampa Bay Lightning game and it was a very weird experience. And, and here's what I mean by that. Have you ever been in a place where everyone is in on something except you? 
You know what I mean? Like everyone is in. So it was like a sold out. It's like three levels of seats and there's just people everywhere and they're going crazy and I am not moved at all. You know what I mean? Like I'm just like, I don't know what's happening right now. Like I saw people my parents' age beating on the glass like maniacs and I was just sitting here like I am a stranger in a strange land. And so like the thing was, I just didn't know what was happening. But the friend that brought me, he started to tell me foundational things about hockey that helped me kind of like enjoy and finally figure out what was in front of me. Like he was like, all right, listen, that thing on the ice is called a puck. When it goes in the net, they score a point. And I was like, wow, right? So anyway, he's like explaining it to me. But he starts explaining things to me like icing and, uh, and high sticking and offsides. I still don't know what that means. But he's explaining all these things to me. And it helps me enjoy what's in front of me because now I can make sense of what I'm seeing. And what we're looking at in 1 John 2 today, uh, we need some foundational things. We need to agree about some foundational things before we get to it so that we can understand what John's trying to tell us. And so we need to back up just a little bit and we're going to back up all the way to the Garden of Eden. So, all right, so we go back to the Garden of Eden. It talks about two trees in the gardens, two specific trees. We have the tree of life. All right, yeah, there we go. Tree of life. Someone went to Sunday school. All right, so we got tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of Good and evil, right? I, I'm going to call it good and bad. I think it's a better translation. That word there for evil, uh, as we translate evil, is ra. The scriptures actually attribute ra to God in the Old Testament. He doesn't do evil. So I'm going I'm to say that it's, uh, I think a better translation is good and bad. And one of the things we do when we think about those two trees is we focus on the knowledge of good and bad. That's what we focus on, right? And people will ask, well, why is that there? Why is that even there? Which it makes me think like, really? That's your question? It's there because it's always there. It's there because that tree is a choice of trusting or not trusting. That tree is a choice of relationship. Either I'm gonna trust you, God, and walk with you, God, and have relationship with you, or I'm not, or I'm gonna do it my own way. That tree doesn't bother me because that tree is always there. It's in every day of every, li- of every day of my life, and it's in every relationship I have. That tree is there. What's interesting to me, and the question we should ask is, why is the tree of life there? And here's why, because he wanted them to eat of it. He wanted them to experience that life. He wanted them to experience that abundant life, the fullness of human flourishing. That's what he wanted for them. And so one of the things we have to agree on here at the top is do you believe that's true for yourself? And what I mean by that is, do you believe that God wants more good for you than you want for yourself? Do you believe that? Do you believe that that God is at work all the time, every day for your good? Do you believe that he wants more for you than you want for yourself? Because that's what that tree represents for us. One of my my favorite um, uh, quotes from C.S. Lewis comes from The Weight of Glory, this book, The Weight of Glory, where he talks about this idea that God desires far more for us than we desire for ourselves. And so let's, let's read it together. I'm gonna put it up here and read it to you. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so we, we have to start there. Do we believe that God desires good for us more than we desire it for ourselves? I think that's true. But also not only, okay, so we have the tree of life. But the tree of the knowledge of good and bad is there as well. And what happens? Well, Eve eats of it, and she makes a choice there in that moment. 
to eat from that tree because she thinks it's a tree of life. She looks at it and says, it looks good. Like this, I think this is gonna lead me exactly where I wanna go. I think this is what I'm missing. This is what I need in my life right now. She eats of it, it's a false tree of life. She eats from it and what happens? Consequences enter and she commits, and this is where I wanted to go back. She commits the, the twin sins of, of Genesis, right? The, the twin sins of the garden and here they are, rebellion and redefinition. So we see first rebellion, living as if there is no God. Her saying like, look, I will make these decisions for myself. I think this looks good, this will make me wise. I will, I'll be able to figure out my own stuff for my own life, right? Like, so that's the rebellion piece. And then there's the, the, the twin, the other side of it is redefinition. Now that I'm in charge, I will define what is good and bad. I will define what I need and what I don't need. And, and I heard a Bible scholar say just recently that all of scripture is like three or four stories just repeated over and over again. And I think that's absolutely true. And this is a story right here that's repeated throughout all of scripture, but not just scripture. It's repeated throughout every one of our lives all the time. There's a very real tree of life available to you today. Like there is a path that Jesus is calling you to saying, look, I want you to experience life and life to the fullest. Come this way, eat of this fruit, right? And there's also fake trees of life. There's false trees of life that we're constantly reaching for that we look at and we go, if I just had this thing, if I could just get this fruit, if I could just be on this path, oh man, it's all I need. If I could just have this way of thinking, if I could just have this relationship with, with money, if I could have these resources or this sexual pleasure or this power, if I could just get a hold of this, it's all I need, right? And these are the twin sins of Genesis, of the rebellion and redefinition. And I want us to hold on to that idea as we go to 1 John 2. So let's go to 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. So this appears that we have an enemy, and the enemy is the world. What does that mean? Well, the world can mean a lot of different things. That, that Greek word cosmos, it means a lot of different things in the scriptures. One, it could mean the literal planet Earth that we are on this flat plane that we are on called Earth, right? I'm, I'm just kidding, it's a joke. The world is round. All right, so anyway, so this, this planet Earth we are on, it could be referring to that. It could also be referring to humanity. That's what, that's what the world uses as well as it refers to all of humanity. But these are not our enemies, nor will they ever be. Planet Earth is not our enemy and neither are humans. Neither is humanity. No human is an enemy of us, right? Instead, our enemy is something else. And so what does he mean when he says the world here? I'm gonna define it this way. Let me put it up here for you. The world is a culture of normalizing the redefining of good and bad outside of God. The world is a culture of normalizing the redefining of good and bad outside of God, normalizing the twin sins of Genesis. That's what the world is, a culture that normalizes that. And so, again, normalizing rebellion against God. Now, look, I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning, nobody in here wakes up in the morning and shakes your fists at the heavens. You're like, not today, God. Like, I don't think we do that. Instead, what I think it means is that rebellion is living as if there is no God. And we do that all the time. And a lot of people do, a lot of people we know, but also ourselves, we do that all the time where we, where we live practically as if there is no God, as if God doesn't care about my life or speak into my life or is even existent in my life. 
And so in that way, we are, we are rebellious and we live as if there's no God, but also uh, a culture that not only normalizes that way of living, living as if there is no God, but also normalizes redefining what is good and bad. And typically the way that this happens in this culture is that it shifts based on what is popular uh, at the time, like a popular desire or a popular opinion. And so right and wrong are typically redefined based on that popularity of opinion. So for example, um, when I was in high school, you wanted to buy music, you would buy it on a compact disc, all right? So you'd buy it on a CD. Now, I know every time I talk about that and I talk about high school, like there's people who are older than me that was like, when I was in high school, I get it. You used to listen to wax cylinders and you'd spin them. I get it, all right? You're old. But for me, it was compact disc, all right? It was CDs. Now, the CDs, like, they were expensive. If you drove by an album, they were like $18. And back then, minimum wage was like 75 cents or something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, it was, it wasn't, well, I'm just kidding. It was a little more than that. But uh, we would like, it would be a lot to buy those CDs. And so when I was graduating high school, uh, I got a lot of graduation money. And so what do I do with it? My parents said, you need to buy a computer for college. And so when I bought this computer, it had something that I'd never had before. And it was a CD burner. And so you could now burn your own CDs, make your own CDs, right? And so when we get to college, everybody bought a computer coming to college, and everyone has a CD burner now. And so what would you do? The first thing I did, I burned my own CD. I made a little mixtape for Angela. It worked, right? But then also, uh, what would you do? Like, you wouldn't buy CDs anymore. You'd go through the dorm, you'd be like, hey, did anyone buy this, this CD that I want to listen to? Great. Can you burn it for me? Now, let me ask you a question. Is that stealing? When you go to your car and you open up that book of CDs that you had and everything in there is silver and covered in Sharpie, is that stealing? Yes, it definitely is. Is Blink-182 poorer because of the decisions I made in college? They are, all right? Like it absolutely, it's just true. It's just the way that it is. But let me ask you, does anyone care? It's stealing. Like no one's gonna argue it's not. It's pretty cut and dry. It is, but does anyone care? No, because we made a decision. We said, you know, it's popular to do this thing. We want to do this thing. So something that is clear, we would say is clearly wrong, now we've determined is right. And that's what we're talking about, a culture that normalizes rebellion. We live as if there is no God, and then we start deciding what is good and bad. And typically, it's, de- it's defined by popular opinion. And where does following a, a culture like that lead us? Where did it leave Eve? Again, she grabbed that fruit. Why? She was like, I'm about to ruin my life. Watch this. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't do that. Instead, why did she do that? She believed this is the path forward for me. This is going to lead me to, to everything I've ever dreamed of, right? We do the same thing. And where did it leave her? It led her to consequences, the same place that it leads us to. So the danger for us is assimilation. That's the danger for us, assimilating into that culture, becoming like a culture that normalizes those things. And so, so let, me, let me explain it like this. I think assimilation is really powerful, and I don't think anyone does it better than Disney, right? Now, I know some of you in here, maybe you work for Disney, and so if you have like a phone that's paid for by the company, turn that off. I think they're listening to us. But uh, I think Disney assimilates better than anybody. We recently went and stayed on property just a couple weeks ago, and there's something that happens there. They start the assimilation process as soon as you get on property. You drive under that little like Welcome to Walt Disney World, and then the street signs change colors, right? And everything is different, and all of a sudden, you're not in Orlando anymore. Like all of a sudden you're like, you're in a completely different place. And what happens is it begins to change you and and it starts to change your relationship to things in the world. You begin to assimilate to their way of thinking. One of the things it does immediately is it changes your relationship to money. 
right? Because like when I get to Disney World, money is monopoly money. It doesn't matter. There's no consequences, right? Like you just, you just spend it. Like you go, man, I'm thirsty. I'd like a Coke. And they're like, we got a Coke for you. $6. And I'm like, what a deal. I'll take two. Like you don't think about it. You know what I mean? They're like, what if we put it in a plastic cup and we'll put a picture of Mickey on it? That'll be $38. What a deal. I'd be stupid not to, right? And you just pay it. And because you just don't know, it's like it's you're assimilating and it's rubbing off on you. Another one is like time. Time becomes something crazy in a place like that. We went to a movie just recently and uh, they were short staffed. And so we're walking up to the movie theater 15 minutes before the movie starts. And there's a line to get in the theater. I'm like, what's going on? The workers come and go, hey, sorry, we're short staffed. We're trying to get the theater ready for you. It's probably gonna be another five minutes before you can come in. And I remember like on my face, I was like, okay. And then internally, I was like, I'll never come here again. You know what I mean? Like making me wait five minutes, right? You go to Disney World, what happens? You go, hey, I want to ride this ride that is made for three-year-olds and has Winnie the Pooh in it. And I've done it 36 times. What's the wait time? Two hours and 35 minutes. I'll wait. You know what I mean? Like we just, you just do it, right? And so it's like, it's a powerful thing. It shapes you and it rubs off on you. And that's our danger as well, that we begin to adopt that culture that would normalize Uh, what is good and bad outside of God. Now, here's the thing. I do not want you to hear me say that all of culture is bad. All of culture is something we should uh, try to push away from. I don't think that's true. There are beautiful and true and wonderful and good and godly things that are in the world around us. One of the things I love about Winter Garden is as you can see it everywhere, like you see care and kindness and an emphasis on justice and you see creativity. Those are beautiful, wonderful, godly and true things that are in the world around us. What we're talking about is the part of culture that would normalize the things that are uh, the redefinition of good and bad outside of God, right? That would, that would normalize those twin sins. And to be clear, I wanna be really clear, this assimilation doesn't go both ways. It doesn't go both ways. Like, like I, our response to this culture should not be that we just get our Christian culture so strong that it rubs off on them. Gross. No, right? Like, could you, I don't want to live in a culture of Christian culture. Now, I don't mean that I don't want to live in a world where people care about what God says. That's not what I'm saying. I mean the weird Christian culture that we've created within church because we're kind of weird. I don't want that to rub off into the world. I don't want to go into a world where the only thing that exists out there are awkward side hugs. You know what I mean? Because you got to leave room for the Holy Spirit. I don't want to live in a world like that, right? I don't want to live in a world where all music is Christian music. I don't want to live in a world where all movies are Christian movies. They're the worst, all right? Like, I don't want, and you're like, no, they're not. <laughs> yes, they are. So I don't want, I don't want to do that, right? And, and also what that means is that our response to a culture that even a culture that we would disagree with, even a culture that would redefine what is good and bad outside of God, our response is not to fight. Our response is not a culture war. That does not work. And that is not what we are called to do. Our call is simply to love those and to love individuals in the middle of that culture. That's it. And to serve the individuals in that culture. So assimilation, again, it doesn't go both ways. We're not trying to just grow a really strong Christian culture. We're going to change everything around us. No, forget that. Instead, this assimilation comes our way. And it is a threat. And we need to fight. Why? Because, again, God wants more for you than you want for yourself. We look at verse 17 of of 1 John 2. It says this, and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. In other words, as we, like, as we follow God, what he gives us is not fleeting. It's not something that won't matter. It's something of substance, and it's a life that will matter forever, and it will fill us with life forever. You know, why do we assimilate? Even when we disagree with things, even when it's not our thing, like, why do we assimilate? Because it feels good to fit in, right? And it feels safe to fit in. 
when I was in high school, I was like 17 or 18, uh, I was on a church trip to, to New York because um, the only, I was real, I was a church kid, so the only time I left Memphis uh, was for the Lord. And so anyway, we went to New York on this church trip and, uh, and I had, I went to Yankee Stadium and I was really excited. I'd never been to Yankee Stadium and we went in and I was like, well, I'm going to a baseball game. I should wear a baseball hat. And so I put on my Atlanta Braves hat and no one told me. Right? Like none of the adults were like, hey, you might die in there. And so anyway, I, I put that hat on and the New Yorkers were um, New Yorkers. All right? Like they were New Yorkers. And so I don't, I don't know if I could do a New York accent. And so just imagine the energy of, hey, I'm walking here. But like, like hey, my hat is here. I don't know. Like just directed at me this absolute anger and vitriol. And so let me tell you, I've never made that mistake since. If I go to a stadium of some of a team that that I'm that is not playing my team, right? If I'm not pulling for the opposing team, I will absolutely buy that hat and pop it on so fast and be like, I'm one of you now, right? Like I will absolutely do that. When my brother lived in Chicago, I went to go visit him. He got me tickets to Wrigley Field, which was a dream. I, I'd always wanted to go there. And so I went and before I went, I bought a Cubs hat. And I blended right in. And I was like, hey, Chicago, right? And like, I was trying to like talk like him and blend in. I was like, hot dogs, the L, the bean, right? You know what I mean? I was like, I'm one of you, baseball. So anyway, so like I, I did that because it feels good. It feels good to blend in. It feels safe. But what God has called us to is not primarily safety. When, when Jesus talks about the world, when he talks about the system that we've just defined, he says like, this system will hate you because it hated me. Like God's primary concern is not our safety. His primary concern is that we would flourish, that we would live like the full life that he has called us to live. In fact, Jesus says that. If we look in Matthew chapter seven, look at, look at what he calls us to. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is a gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now some of us, we, we read that and we go, oh, let's talk about like salvation. Like a lot will go to hell and some will go to heaven. No, 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 like I think it's more than that. I think what Jesus is saying is, look, I want you to eat of the tree of life. I want you to experience the fullness of life I have for you. And here's the path. Here's the path for it. Here's where it is. You follow my words. You stay with me and you get to experience life. Right now, you get to experience life in your relationships and in your inner self and in, in everything around. You get to experience it right now. But if we don't, if we compromise, if we allow that assimilation to begin, we find ourselves leaving that path. We find ourselves on a path where everyone else is. We find ourselves on a much broader path. That doesn't lead us to live the life that God has for us, not the life that we want for ourselves either. And so the question is, will we fight to stay on this path? I think it's a worthy fight. And so what John does here is he begins to expose the strategy of this system, of what it uses to lure us off of this path. And so I want us to look at it real quick. So let's break this down. We just read it, but I wanna break it down. Uh, In verse 16, it says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. This is the strategy. The lust of the flesh, the desires in us, the feelings that guide us, the lust of the eyes, the things that we see and we think are good. The pride of life is the autonomy. And this, this strategy has not changed. It has not changed since the beginning of time. If we go back to Genesis, we're back in the garden. Look at Genesis and look at, look at what it says about Eve. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, so that's the, the, the lust of the flesh, right? Like I feel like this is 
going to be good for me. The pleasing to the eye, I, I look at it and I want it. It looks good to me. And also desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life. Like this is going to make me smart. I won't need God. I won't need anyone else. Like I will be, able, I'll understand everything here. She took some and she ate it. And so this is what we're dealing with today. And so I wanna look at them even closer with you real quick. So let's look real quick. The lust of the flesh, that's the first one. The belief that whatever I feel is good is good. And feelings are usually really loud, but loud doesn't equal true. And feelings are usually really powerful and they can be overwhelming, but powerful doesn't mean they're true. Do you ever get the feeling uh, that you're being watched? I mean, you are right now, I'm looking right at you. But like, do you ever get that feeling of being watched? It's a creepy feeling, no one likes it, except when I was a kid, I had this feeling that I was being watched, but it was a positive thing. Now let me explain. I, this is not a joke. I believed that every time I was in public, I was being watched by a talent scout from like TV. That's what I believe. I believe wherever I was at all times, there were talent scouts out there. And if I could be funny enough in Kroger, if I could be funny enough in the grocery store, then they're gonna be like, you're going to Hollywood, kid. And my poor mother, because I'm telling you, we would go in there and she's just trying to get groceries and I'm just trying to make a living. You know what I mean? Like I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to get to the next level and so like, I'm, you know, like she's just trying to buy like spaghetti noodles or whatever. And I'm like, what do you, what do you call fake noodles? And she's like, what? And I was like, what do you call fake noodles? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, an impasta, <laughs> Hollywood, right? Like, and I believed it. I really did. Like as a kid, I fully felt that I was being watched and that my future was secure. I was going to be on Disney Channel or whatever. It wasn't true. It was a powerful feeling. It wasn't true. I, I, or haven't you ever said something? because of an overwhelming feeling, because of an overwhelming emotion, and, and it just wasn't true. Like, like, we talk like that all the time. We get overwhelmed and we say things, and even in the moment we believe it, everyone hates me, everyone's against me. Like, nothing good's ever gonna come from this. I'm never gonna get past that. And then we get some distance, and that emotion calms down. It's not the loudest thing in our brain anymore, and we go, oh, wait a second, I'm, I missed that one. My, like, my kids talk like that all the time. They always use the language of never and always when they're emotional, right? They're like, you never do, you always, right? So the other day, uh, my son, he's, he's holding his Nintendo Switch and he goes, hey, will you buy me this game? It's like a $60 game. And I go, why? And he goes, ah, because I want it. And I was like, I, is it your birthday? Did you do something? Did you save a life? Like, why would I spend $60 on this game? And he goes, I just want it. And I go, nah, man, sorry. I'm not gonna drop 60 on this. And then he goes, you never buy me anything. And he's holding a Nintendo Switch, right? And I was like, you are holding that Nintendo Switch. Where did you get that? And he's like, Dee Dee and Grandpa. And I was like, good point. All right, I did not actually, I did not actually buy that. But again, just because our feelings are loud, we often think that they represent our deepest beliefs and the deepest truth. And they don't. That's just not true especially because our feelings can be so manipulated. Our feelings are, are right on the surface and can be touched and twisted and changed and, and so quickly. Anybody seen uh, Top Gun 2? Anyone seen the, the new Top Gun? That's what's up, right? Like, yeah, like I just, I walked out of there and I was just like, America, right? Like it is, uh, it's, a, it's fantastic. It's about to make a billion dollars. Isn't that insane? Anyway, it's, it's ridiculous. And so like in that movie, I'm in tears over a 60-year-old fighter pilot Scientologist. How does that happen, right? How does that happen? But my emotions, they can be touched, right? 
And so again, because our feelings are loud, it doesn't mean that because they're so loud and they're so overwhelming that they represent the deepest truth about ourselves or about the world around us, which is the opposite of the message that we hear all the time. The message we hear all the time is live your truth. The message we hear all the time is follow your heart. And that is not always true. That's not safe. That's not, a safe, that's not safe advice. And so one of the things I think we should do is we should challenge our feelings. And, and one of the ways that we get to do that as Christians, like one of the tools that we have to challenge our feelings is we have prayer. And what prayer is, is it becomes a pause button for us. I love the scripture in Psalm 46. It says, be still and know that I am God. In other words, be still and know something else. Like not just the loud feelings you're feeling right now, not just the loud voices you're hearing right now. Like be still and know something else. And here's what you need to know. Know that I am God. Like hit pause, which is something our feelings do not like and we do not like to do in the middle of that, but hit pause with God in that moment. I told you, uh, I've told you about a guy before who's a friend of mine who I've learned more about prayer from him than anybody else. And I told you that when he would pray, he'd always pause for a really long time before we would pray. And I would ask him, why do you do that? And his answer was always the same, because I wanna stop and remember who I'm talking to. And what was he doing? Like he was stopping in that moment and all of the loudest voices in his life, whether those were the feelings he was feeling in that moment or whether they were voices of anybody else, he was pushing those away for a moment to stop and what, to know that he is God, to focus in on him. And so we have an opportunity to challenge our feelings through prayer by hitting pause with God and thinking a little bit deeper. But also maybe not just we do that in prayer, but we we should do that with one another. Maybe hit pause with one another. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Sometimes I need you to challenge my feelings because they're so overwhelming and they're so loud. They feel like these must be deep truths and you need your friends to look at you and go hey that's not actually true what you're feeling right now like hey hey i know i know that that feeling you're having is real i know that fear is real that anxiety is real that anger is real like i get that and that's a real feeling but what it's telling you is not real your feeling is real what it's telling you is not real it's not true And we need that for one another. I hope you have that. I hope you have those people in your life who will talk to you like that, who will break through that. And and really, if you have close friends, like sometimes you don't even need them to say anything. You just need them to give that look. You know what I mean? Like, you idiot. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I need. Sometimes I'll go, I'll be like, man, this is how I'm feeling. I just, I can't believe it. Like, this is never gonna work out. And this, whatever. And my friends will just look at me like, And I go, yeah, that's right, I'm an idiot. All right, that's all I needed, right? And so sometimes, again, we need other people to challenge our feelings as well. Let's look at the second thing, not just lust of the flesh, but lust of the eyes. The belief that whatever I see as good is good. Have you ever seen the video of the kid uh, eating eating an onion like an apple? Have you seen that video? Uh, The story behind it, the mom posts it, and her caption is, um, her son comes up and is holding an onion and says, can I eat this apple? And she says, no, it's not an apple, it's an onion. He said, no, it's an apple. And she said, no, it's an onion. He said, no, it's an apple. And she said, fine, have at it. And then he proceeds to pridefully and arrogantly eat this onion. Have you seen it? It's fantastic. In fact, let's watch it. I want to show it to you. got it, man. (laughs) 
He got it. All right, so that's enough of that. Listen, if you've ever wondered, like, what do, what do future politicians look like, it's that right there, all right? Just like, just say it's an onion, man. Like, no, it's an apple. My constituents know it's an apple. This is the story of our lives. This is the story of our lives, right? Where I see things and I say, this is good, and I just need this. This is all I need. And we've been there in the same place where that kid was, right? Where you said, I just need this power. I need this opportunity. I need this authority. And we get it and we experience it. And it's not what we needed. It's not the path that led us to life. We say, you know what? I just need to experience this pleasure. If I could get this, if I could have, I've never had anything like this. If I could get this opportunity, if I could experience this thing in my life, it'll be enough. And it's not for us. And this is absolutely the story of my life, of looking at things and deciding that they are good. Forget, it doesn't matter matter what God's wisdom says. I need this thing. This is what will bring me what I ultimately need. And so I think the thing we need to do here is challenge your vision. Challenge your vision. Look further down the road. We need to ask ourselves when we see those things, when we desire those things and work towards those things, will this lead me to the fullness of life that God has for me? Because one of the things that I think happens is when we see those things, we see that shiny fruit, whatever it is, we see that onion apple, whatever it is, when we see that thing, we focus on what it's going to give us now. And we don't look just a step beyond, just a step beyond. You know, one of the things that, that the scripture says is that God's word is a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. One of the things that, that God's word does is it helps us look beyond right now. It helps us look beyond what's right in front of us. And so that's one of the ways that we get to challenge our vision is we get to look a little bit further and go, okay, God, with you, is this gonna lead me where I wanna go? Is this gonna lead me to real life or is this gonna lead me somewhere else? Um, and so lastly, we have the pride of life, the belief that whatever I say is good, is good. Parents, what's the most satisfying thing that you get to say to your kids all the time besides I love you? Because I said so. That's right, somebody said it, you're a parent. All right, yeah, it's because I said so. It doesn't make any sense, but it's fantastic. I love it. I remember when I was a kid getting so frustrated at my parents for saying that, and I was like, I'll never say that when I have kids. Like, I was so dumb. I say it all the time, and it feels so good. Just be like, because I said so, right? Sometimes they don't even say anything. I just say it to them, right? Because it makes me feel good. They're just watching TV, and I walk in, because I said so, right? Like, I... Love it. Have you ever uh, tried that line uh, on your spouse? Doesn't work as well. All right? Like it doesn't, doesn't go as well. But this idea of because I said so, this, there's nothing more American than this type of autonomy, right? But there's nothing more antithetical to the Christian life than this idea. The scriptures tell us that he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So I think we need to challenge our pride. And in the way of Jesus is a way of humility and dependence. So we need to ask ourselves, with this conviction I have, or this belief I have, or this attitude I have, or this action that I'm considering, have I even considered the Father here? Have I considered what he may want of me? Um, anybody in here have an Amazon wish list? Amazon wish list, you guys keep it going and going and going. Uh, a lot of people raised their hand. A lot of you didn't, and I know you're liars. I know Jeff Bezos is in your heart. That's where he is in all of us. And so anyway, like we are all Amazon people. I get it, and I keep this wish list. And I wanna tell you, these are, I'm gonna read you a couple things on my wish list. These are real. This is my actual Amazon wish list. You ready? Here we go. One, I have a, I have a ukulele on it. My daughter just recently started playing the ukulele. I was like, I don't play the ukulele. I don't want her to be better at me than anything. Uh, also, I was like a mini, like a little mini drink fridge from upstairs because who wants to walk downstairs for this 2022? Uh, squatty potty, right? Uh, I also have on there, um, let me just read you the name of it because I don't know if I'll describe it right. You ready? This is on my list, not my children's. This is mine. 
Power Rangers Mighty Morphin Megazord Mega Pack includes five dinosaur action figure toys for boys and girls ages four and up, inspired by a 90s TV show. That is on my list, all right? Like, I want the Megazord from the Power Rangers, and I don't care about your judgment. You can keep it, and you can take it somewhere else, all right? This is my real Amazon list. Now, here's what I do with my Amazon list, and maybe you do the same thing, is every month, the budget starts over for the month, right? And Angela, who takes care of all of our money, because obviously. And so she will, she will be like, you can sp- here's your play money. And I'll be like, I'm going to buy toys. And I go to Amazon, and I order as many of the toys on my list as I can, and I check it off. And I go, I'll be back for you next month, Megazord, right? And so anyway, that's what, that's what I do, right? And uh, a friend of mine recently, he got, he got a pretty significant raise. And I was like, hey, besides inflation, where's the rest of your money going to go? like all this new money you have. And he's like, man, I, I don't actually know yet. I'm, I'm really, I, what I really need to do, I, I want to pause for a second, and I, I really want to ask God what he wants me to do with it. And I was like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm a pastor. I was going to say those exact words. Have you seen the Megazord, though? You know what I mean? Like, I'm hearing what you're saying. But, but really what he's demonstrating is a humble dependence, like challenging the idea that he's ultimately in charge of his life. It's that, it's that humble dependence. And so are we doing the same thing? You know, kind of as we close out here, there's, there's more strategies, too, to employ to our fight. And I, I actually just want to show you two quick disciplines of Jesus that I think perfectly pair with what we talked about today. Because Jesus faced the same things we face. He, seemed, he faced the exact same enemies. If you look at the temptations of Jesus, they line up with the temptations of Eve. They line up exactly, right? The exact same type of temptations. So the exact same type of temptations we face every single day to assimilate into a culture that would, that would redefine what is good and, and bad outside of God. Jesus faced the same ones, and he resisted that as we are to resist it as well. And let me give you the couple of ways he did it. The first one is uh, silence and solitude. Jesus constantly pulled away from the voices that would call him to assimilate into the world um, and all these other influences. He pulled away from those to be alone with God. And maybe you're thinking, but Grant, can you really be quiet enough to practice silence? That's hurtful. But what I mean by silence is we turn off the input. Turn off the input for a second. You know, some of us, when you, when you lay in bed at night, what do you do? You've got your phone. Like Angela, when she goes, hey, I'm going to bed, because she typically goes to bed before I do, I know I've got a good 45 minutes to an hour that I could walk into that room at any point. There's going to be a glow on her face as she's just scrolling through social media. And maybe you do the same thing. And, and I want you to know, like, those those things, like those, that's input into your brain. That's input into your life. They're not neutral. They're teaching you. And so I do the same thing. I lay down, I, I pull up TikTok, and it usually starts out good. It starts out funny. Like I, like I pulled up the other night, it started out this comedian had hired a private investigator to follow him around, and he was just trying to see if he could take more pictures of the private investigator than the private investigator could take of him, which I think is amazing, right? And like that's why God will never let me be rich, because I would do stuff like that all the time, right? And so it starts out like that. But then, like, it's, it is teaching. It's an input, right? And so I, then it goes to a video that shows this is the political opinion you should have, and here's why. It goes to a video showing incredible vacations, that if you're not having these vacations, you're robbing your children of incredible memories. A video saying, do you know how to make more money? Do you want to make more money? And I'm like, do I know how? I don't does it could baptize more people? I don't know. I don't know how to make more money, but it's like you should be making more money. These are all inputs that we have in our life. And so do we, like Jesus, do we practice a time in our day where we pause and we unplug all of that? And we practice this moment where we get away and we go, God, I want to hear your voice now. I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to push all these other voices away, and I want to hear your voice. What do you have to say to me? 
What do, you, what do you say about me? What do you say about the world around me? What does your word say? Do you meditate on that? And so I think we should practice the same thing. And let me give you one more real quick. Is the church. Is the church. And so you say Jesus practiced church. What do you mean by that? Jesus prioritized worship. And, and we see, like, look at the scriptures. It tells us this uh, in Luke 4. In Luke 4, 16, it says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures Jesus practiced this. You know, as I think about like all week long, we have these inputs coming in. All week long, we have these voices of assimilation coming to us saying, hey, hey, this is the way we live. We live as if there is no God and we redefine what is good and bad. Come along with us, right? And all all week long, we hear that over and over and over again. And one of the things we get to do on Sundays is we get to come together and we get to refocus. And we get to refocus our hearts together and go, what is true and what is eternal? And sometimes, like, I don't know about for you, but for me, it feels like this. Like, I'm not crazy, right? Like, I just watched the news for six days. I saw everything else out there that you saw out there. And I'm, I'm really struggling. Like, good is still ahead, right? Like, God is still in control, right? Like, he still cares about me. And sometimes that's what we get to do when we come in here on Sunday, is we get to be reminded of, and we get to remind one another of what is true and what is eternal. And it's one of the ways that we get to fight to stay on that path of real life. And I want to end, I was trying to think, how do we end today? I was like, oh, prayer, obviously. I'll just pray for us. But I was thinking like, man, there's got to be someone better to pray for, for us than, than me. And when you look in John 17, there's a prayer that Jesus prays for you and for me. If you're like, I'm in the Bible, you are absolutely in the Bible. And you're in John 17. He prays for all of his followers. And this is what he prays about. He says, I'm leaving the world, but I'm leaving them in it, Father. Protect them. Fill them with your love. So what I'd love to do is I'd love to read his prayer over us now. Let Jesus pray for us as we close out today, as you and I commit to stay on this path of life, to chase after all of the good things that he has for us, all of the good things that are so much more than what we desire for ourselves. Like as we commit to that, may we, may we find comfort in his prayer for us. And so let me read his prayer. Jesus prays this for us. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you've given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you've given them to me so they bring me glory. Now, I'm departing from the world. They're staying in the world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is true. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. I revealed you to them and I will continue to do so then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them.